I mean, I think the workforce is going to be dominated by women in the next coming years. Mm-hmm, because all the stuff that men can do can be automated. <laughs> <laughs> So I started a new job recently uh, and I switched over to consulting. So I'm actually working now at um, one of these like big four consulting firms. <laughs> Talk about villains. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it's really, it's actually really funny. Um, the fact that like when I, when I joined this firm, like all my friends were like, whoa, like Marana. I, you were the last person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You were the last person I thought would join, um, this consulting firm. And I was like, oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I always just think it's interesting what people's like, right. Perceptions are of you. But I mean, I understood, right. Like it was like, you know, I'm a very big advocate of like embracing your own lifestyle, embracing your own, um, work, whether that's like freelancing, whether that's, I don't know, playing video games all day. I don't know. You can be doing whatever. Um, but I mean, having some form of a, like income to live your life, like whatever works for you, works for you. Um, but so I think that's why people were like, oh, like I thought you were into that freelance stuff. Um, but yeah, so I joined, I got a new job, joined this firm. And something that I like really didn't know is that like you really have to be a serial networker to get actual work. Um, and it's like this really odd concept. I don't know for folks that are like in consulting or maybe you have friends that are in consulting. I'm sure you may have heard of this, but if you're not, let me spill some knowledge for you. So once you join a consulting firm and you went through like this rigorous interview process to get into the firm, it was super, super competitive. They were like, Oh, congrats. You're two percenters. Do they actually say that? They actually said that <laughs> in my orientation. <laughs> wow. I was like, I don't think that's true, but okay. Um, yeah, so like once you have gone through all this interviewing to get the job, suddenly you're kind of thrown in the deep end and it's up to you to get projects. Um, so in consulting, you have you can have short-term projects that may be a couple weeks, long-term projects that could be two, three years. I mean, but the average, it seems, is maybe a few months, like six to eight months for one project. Um, but yeah, you don't get assigned projects, guys. You got to go find them. It, like, And what's crazy is that like if you don't get on a project, right, you'll be penalized for that. Um, Which is so weird because yeah. how, I mean, it's just, it just seems like very kind of, there's a lot of random chance involved. Yeah, you know? there is a lot of random chance. It's what's weirder though, Isabel, is that they they have a system like existing systems for you to get staffed on a project, but apparently like nobody uses it, right? Like, but then why? Like, I don't it's know. so weird because and if you're a, a man, a managing director, hiring or um, project manager, or whatever, and you have a project and you need consultants on it, um the only projects that get put in the system are like if you're really desperate or if it's a new manager and they're, they don't have an existing network of uh, consultants and senior consultants to pull from, mm-hmm. um, which is like, oh, wow, like uh, this is really different. Like, I'd, like I've always been, I think, a pretty good networker, but like in terms of like happy hours, right? Like in terms of like meeting people outside of my, um, you know, like place of employment, um, but still in my industry. It's been weird, like trying to network to like get work, like to get put on a project. It's really putting me on like high, like, I don't know, biz dev mode. And I'm like realizing that, like, I think I used to consider myself a, 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 
extrovert, but like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm an extrovert. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I really, I mean, I talk to people quite naturally, but for me to like go out and find you and prove to you that like I'm worthwhile, like I'm a good candidate for your project and I have these skills, like it's doing an interview process a million times and like in a more informal way. Well, I don't think that means that you're not an extrovert. I think that even many people who would consider themselves extroverts wouldn't necessarily enjoy that, right? It sounds kind yeah. of stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. But I mean, I think like so at the same time though, as I am as I got this new job and I'm like required to network a lot, I also like, maybe it's from the amount of uh, like talking I have to do all day. Like I don't even want to hang out with my friends anymore <laughs> <laughs> or my family for that matter. <laughs> like, like I feel like I'm also just super boring now and I'm like, okay, I'm going and sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going, it's like, sorry, I miss your calling. I was asleep. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's literally like, I think tired me out to the point where I'm just like, oh my God, I can't talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess that's why I also felt like maybe I'm not an extrovert. <laughs> like, but I, I mean, I am coming into this place where I feel like I'm an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. But um, that's besides the point. The main point is the fact that I have to network my ass off to get work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard of people like getting, like not having a project, I think for as long as three months. Like yeah. three months where like you're just sitting around doing nothing, yeah. which is cool if like right you're getting paid to sit around and do nothing. Like your yeah. your your payment doesn't decrease. It's incredible how much sitting around doing nothing happens in all of these white collar jobs in DC. Dude. You know, like I have yeah. a friend who was a, you know, paralegal or something, and unless they have like a super like they could have many you know weeks, maybe I don't even know, maybe months at a time when they were not doing anything, and so they were very explicitly like, you can just watch Netflix. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like, well, my cousin, I think she was working for a temp agency and she got staffed on this random like short term gig and they had no work for her, but they like had to hire. Like I, there's a lot of companies that just have like budgets that they had to blow through by the end of the year or whatever. Yeah. So they'll just like hire a bunch of people and ha- not have work for them. And so that's kind of the situation she was in. But the opposite happened where the manager was upset that nobody had work and was just telling people to leave. (laughs) And imagine if you're getting paid on an hourly like salary and then it's like, oh, leave. Then it's like you just lost money. Well, that's true no matter what. Right. Whether you're hourly or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sucks to get fired. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was more like, I mean, come back the next day, but like we're good for, we're good on today like leave. oh yeah. okay yeah. it was just an hourly like they weren't firing them they were just saying go home for the day yeah 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 but they're planning to be there like all day right like, right but they literally didn't have enough work for them they're tired of like people just being on their phones yeah yeah well that's the thing that really baffles me is why do you do work that's intellectual labor basically on a time on a timed basis right Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that seems incredibly archaic to me because it makes sense if you're working in a factory and you're just making widgets and you know every hour you can make x number of widgets so the more you know if you work 40 hours you can be pretty reliable you can you can predict how much output that person's going to have, right? But if you're doing something that just involves sitting around thinking, mm. like that's something that could be so variable in how much time it takes. And you're not really uh, rewarded for being efficient in that system, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. like I remember in in my previous job, there'd be like, you know, okay, you have 
a month to finish this project, right? And it's not like I'm going to get more work if I get it done early. And I mean, even if I had gotten more work, if I got it done early, like there's no incentive to do that, right? Because why would you, like, if, unless I'm going to get paid more, why would I voluntarily try to get more work, right? right? Mm-hmm. So it just, like, it seems like kind of a, a, an incentive structure that doesn't really fit the type of work that we're doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, but I also don't, I don't know what the alternative is because having it be task based, right. In, in a way, in such a way that it would prioritize efficiency, I think would also be incredibly stressful for people. Yeah. It's almost like you, pre- I appreciate the flexibility of having like a 40 hour work week because I, I know myself and what, how long it'll take me to do X, Y, Z thing. Is there a world where like some other way of quantifying your work is measured? I don't know. I think that there's, I know there's systems that, that some of my friends work in places where they can have supposedly unlimited, you can come in whenever you want, you can leave whenever you want, you have unlimited vacation, you know, like you just, whatever you need to get your, your work done, <clears throat> that's how long you take. But I feel like often those types of systems, instead of actually let, allowing people to work less, encourage people to work a lot more, you know, mm-hmm. my friends who work in those types of companies I think often work 11 hour days as opposed to six hour days right if they just it's up to them right because then if there's no set expectation then like how are you gonna you know what's your bar for competing with other people you know what I mean yeah so my last job it was a similar thing where it was like you could do whatever you want as long as you get your work done Mm -hmm. um you could take off or like it's flexible you can work from home blah 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 and it did exactly that like I think people worked more um more than what they had to work, but they could also take off randomly. They were allowed because they worked so hard. So like we had data engineers or like our architecture folks who would have to be monitoring our systems. I worked at a tech company would, um, and like maybe worked on some weekends and then they were offered flexibility like because, because the policy was so lax and they'd like just take off a week. You see what I'm saying? So it was cool for them because that's what they wanted to do. Their whole life was work. So it was like a great policy, but... For the other people who, like you said, don't have a bar of like what expectations need to be met, I feel like also felt like a constant um, drive to overwork to prove themselves. Yeah. Um, since it was like that type of culture. It was, it was weird. It was really weird. Yeah, I think that happens so much, this sort of performative workaholism, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I don't even like have anything to do, but I better look busy, mm-hmm. you know? Or you yeah. say, especially for people who work overtime, like same with like, you know, the parale- whole paralegal thing, right? You know, if you get paid time to have to work overtime, there's no incentive to get things done efficiently. You want to save everything for like five o'clock. Yeah. You know, and then mm-hmm. work till two, which is like horrible. But I mean, there's it's, some people who would opt to just not have lives and make a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's also really interesting, I think, in the government like sector, too. Um, it, and so in at this consulting firm that I'm working at now, there's this big um, government division and I've heard of people being on projects um, so they'll have like a hundred person 200 300 person teams like deployed at like HUD or like some different government agency and literally these people will have no role no job but just show up for eight hours and look busy so that our client thinks we're doing a lot of work crazy (laughs) concept crazy yeah like, I, I had consultants at my company for a while who were trying to, like, teach us how to, like, be agile or whatever. And, like, there was this one guy who would literally sit next to me all day 
and look up things on the Dragon Ball Z Wikipedia page. I was just like, wow, you get paid $500 an hour to do this. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just, yeah, I think it's super, super unnatural. Like I just, the whole expectation, like of working eight hours a day, period. I mean, Kane's, he very much thought by this time in society, we would be working 15 hour work weeks. 15 hours? Because he's like, well, look at all this automation that's happening, right? Uh You'd think that that just is going to result in people having to work less, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, there's, I don't know, there's, I remember vaguely there's this thing in economics where you have like, what is the trade-off of leisure versus more, you know, additional work, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and he, I think, basically thought that like, you know, once you reach a certain point in which people are, are making a baseline level of, income in society they're just going to opt to actually like take the rest of the time as leisure Mm -hmm. which is clearly not what's happening right Mm -hmm. we're just working more and more and more and just like making more work for ourselves Mm -hmm. right and it's just kind of like I, i i read this blog um called slate starred codex and the guy who writes this blog has this one post he's a psychiatrist and he talks about how much he was really surprised that psychiatry was basically how how much you were a gatekeeper for Adderall, right? Mm -hmm. Because he works, I think, in the, in some like finance or tech district in San Francisco. And he says there's constantly people coming in asking for Adderall prescriptions. And they're like, I don't understand how everyone else seems to be so functional. and I just can't seem to focus on these spreadsheets all day. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, the reason why is because all your coworkers are already on Adderall, you know? (laughs) And the fact that you have to like self-medicate because it's so unnatural, the thing that you're asking people to do, right? Humans were not just like biologically, evolutionarily not made to just sit in a chair all day and stare at a screen and like, you know, look at spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it kind of ties into another book that is my favorite book right now called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. And he actually, actually, it's not actually in the book. I read this, I like was watching a Ted talk that he had done and he was talking about how one of the biggest determinants, or he thinks, I don't know if he has any, I'm sure he has some kind of evidence for this, but I don't know what it is. Um, One of the biggest determinants for our own happiness is how embodied we feel, right? And how connected to our environments we are. Because I guess when we were primitive humans on the plains or whatever, like one of the big, you know, if if you're not in tune with your environment, you're going to die, right? And we've done so much to cut ourselves off from our environment at, you know, this point in our society where we're, you know, you're going on the subway, you're always like plugged in and you're staring at a screen and you're not embodied at all. Right. Which is why I feel like, I don't know, now that I've been now I I, am thinking about it, it does make me really realize that whenever I'm moving my body, it's so much more like enjoyable than whenever I'm just sitting around staring at a screen, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think I think there's like obvious health benefits to that, too. Yeah. you, You see this. I think I I do think like the work environment is making this shift to being more conscious of that. Like, I think that's why, right, we've gone from cubicles to having open floor plans. Like, I think a lot of companies now are also implementing different health initiatives or plans where they'll give you stipends for the gym or blah, 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 standing desks from sitting desks, et cetera. So, like, I feel like that's real. Yeah, but I think that all of those initiatives, I think, are just going to be super too little too late. Yeah, 
you know? I do feel that. And I think, um, back to your point on automation and the, and this, the thought that by this time, like we should be automating most of our work by now. And like, why don't we have that 15 hour work week versus this 40 hour work week? I feel like we're in this transition mode still. Like this technology era has appeared and we're still literally, there's still a large learning curve especially because of the fact that I feel like half the population, if not more, doesn't know that these things exist. And then another part of the population doesn't know how they work, right? So it's literally like, I think the biggest way to get towards a future of automation and less work is knowledge sharing um, and embracing new technologies. I don't know, what do you think? Well, what, okay, so when you say knowledge sharing, what are you talking about exactly? I am referring to the fact that I think a lot of people don't, understand the new technologies and systems that are being created to help them automate their work or make their lives easier um, when it comes to eliminating inefficiencies in their work um, and that we should do that there should be more education around those things to reach people who are not in tech in the technology industry mm-hmm yeah I think that's something that I like job retraining programs like this is actually really fundamental. This is like one of the only times I've ever actually used my major. Like, <laughs> but um, the, I took a class in college on IPE, International Political Economy. And it there's this thing in IPE where it talks about how countries can either like decide to have a fixed like um, basis for their currency. So like when we were on the gold standard, it was gold, right? And now we don't right? Or they can decide to have sort of monetary flexibility, which is like what we have now. And we can sort of adjust, you know, our, our interest rates and stuff like the Fed can do that. And, um, but the trade-off is that you have to, if you're going to decide to be able to have that kind of flexibility, you really need to, it kind of opens you up to being able to trade internationally, but like that, those kinds of things, if you don't have protectionism, you really have to make sure protectionism, meaning like, you know, you're protecting your, you're subsidizing the goods that come from your own country versus like allowing you to buy the things that come from elsewhere, Mm -hmm. right outside the country. And, um, the big thing is that the, like what you really have to commit to doing if you're going to be open to, you know, global trade is you have to make sure that you're training the like lots of parts of your workforce are going to become obsolete, you know, and that is going to result in like, you know, huge political up, you know, uh, it's destabilizing. Right. And so you really have to be able to train people. And this is something that I think that we're really, really not able to do. Isabel, wow, mind-boggling moment I just had over here while you were explaining this, the fact that we're going to have to retrain basically so many people. people. Like, I I can't even imagine about that. And, you know, it's so funny because we both worked in online uh, learning (laughs) um, uh, together. And I always thought online learning was cool, but just now I feel like it hit me, like, the real impact that this could have in creating innovative um, learning approaches to teaching online because I feel like it's a very un, under untapped market. I think people are, I think like higher education institutions are now using online platforms to de- deliver trainings online. But um, like for in terms of like MOOCs, massively open online courses, um, 
they have focused a lot on like, I feel like uh, tech education, like learning how to code and um, things that are more tangible that you can, that you have an output for. But like, there's going to be, I think there's like this huge market on creating like new approaches to teaching online, especially like if we're going to be having to teach like everything, teach everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, ahead. like soft skills, like how do you teach that online? Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing is I feel like that's very difficult. Um, and how do you have like real authentic conversations with people that are not in person? Yeah. Like, how do you replicate that through video chat? Like, I think there's some companies trying out different things. But it's, I think it's really hard. Well, I also think that it's the kind of thing that is probably more likely to work in America because it, it also relies on the assumption that the people you're training know how to use a computer. Right. right? right, right. And we were in an industry that was trying to do that for international development. And I think that's so much less of an assumption in the international development context is that like if you're going to try to like, you know, solve world hunger through an app, like everyone's got to be able to have a smartphone. Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, and I think... I think where international, where like the technology innovation, international development gets it right is that they still focus on SMS. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like there still needs to be, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to, how to begin tackling that. I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that's really where I think my aha moment came in when we were just talking right now was like, I was like, wow, this is a huge issue. It Who's is going to fix this? <laughs> yeah. And like, that's why one of the things that we would, like when we were doing workshops, there was this like you know, bingo game that we would play, right? And one of the questions in it was, actually it wasn't part of bingo. It was just like some icebreaker we would do. And one of the questions we would ask is, is the internet a human right? Mm, and mm -hmm. I, it is like a super interesting proposition, right? If that's going to be the main conduit for like knowledge sharing, as you say, mm -hmm then maybe the, and, and that's like the number one way for you as a individual in our society moving forward to be able to move up and have social mobility. Like maybe it is a human right, you know? Yeah. We, I think so. Yeah. We, we used to do those workshops, um, in-person workshops and, and it, a lot of, we also did the interactive activity where, right. Like people would, we would give a prompt. So we'd say is like, uh, the internet is a human right. People go to the left of the room if they agree, the right of the room if they disagree, in the middle if they're neutral or I don't know. Um, and it was always evenly split. <laughs> there was never any neutral people. It was always like, yes, it's a human right, or no, it's not a human right. Um, and there's never any consensus, which was very interesting. Yeah. But the thing is, that kind of thing would take such massive investment. Yeah. And I do think that there's companies, that's the thing, I really have no faith that that's the kind of thing that could happen on a public level like the government doing it mm -hmm. but you think uh are there any companies that you think have the even the capacity to pull this off it's just like it's got to be one of the big you know facebook google or whatever because it just requires so much upfront it's like a utility right in a lot of places like the utility companies are monopoly just because it requires so much upfront investment to build the pipes you know and once the pipes are already built it's just so much like upfront cost for them to have any kind of competitor mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i think that the same is true for any of those like cell phone towers right like if we have already have so many cell phone towers covering the country it makes no sense for a new you know com company to come in and build new cell phone towers i think that's going to be the same thing with the internet right mm. but i feel like some in a way have said um blockchain 
Technology is almost like what the internet, I've heard the phrase, what the internet should have been. Well, that's the other thing is like, you know, we can try to build all this infrastructure now, right? But who knows if, you know, in 10 years, you know, like right now, you know, if we tried to build internet everywhere, we're using fiber optic cables. And then we find out 10 years down the line that there was like a massively, massively better way to do it, right? Yeah, it's going to be a really sad moment. I think yeah. we'll all cry collectively. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always, I, like, what do you, how do you, my question is, how do we take out the trash? Like, how do we take out, for example, you know, I think, like, whenever there's a new technological innovation, whether it was, right, from radio to TV to now we have personal computers and now we have smartphones and tablets, how do we get people to embrace it? And how do we um, kind of like uh, transition out the old technology? But I feel like we have gotten people to embrace it and that's been wildly successful, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that everyone has an iPhone now and the iPhone didn't exist, right, pre like 2007? Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's actually crazy. Yeah. It is crazy, right? How, how much people can just adopt things and how much things can sort of go, go viral. You know? Yeah, it is really weird. I think what's also really interesting is that I also will find that a majority of people that own these, like, new technologies, like, can't even afford it. I was literally, like, in the northern region of Ethiopia, in an area that has zero access to, like, an urban setting. Like, you are literally in the boondocks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I was on a lake, uh, and our um, person who was taking us on the boat was just a local man who literally like barely had his shoes together. They were kind of like in scraps and you could tell like he'd been wearing his clothes for a long time. Um, but he had a smartphone. He had, he had like some kind of Samsung Galaxy. And I was like so curious as to like how somebody who I feel like was living a more impoverished lifestyle like still has this smartphone and the fact that it has been embraced so widely in such remote areas confirmed to me the importance of it. Yeah, I think right? that really speaks to how valuable it is to people that they would like buy an iPhone or a smartphone over food or clothes or shelter, right? Things that you would question, consider to be human rights, right? Yeah, like, okay, then it made me really think about the fact that is access to the internet, is mass communication more important? than other needs or are they maybe on the same level like or you know I I really thought about that a lot but it was really interesting I was really surprised to see it mm-hmm I mean everyone is worried that we're gonna stop having jobs right and so it's kind of like okay you can have as much job retraining as you want right but eventually like there's just going to be less work like there's just not yeah. right yeah, my friend Mary was literally, she was over the other day and she was like, oh my gosh, AI is taking over the world. Like, I'm not going to have a job. Like, we're all going to do nothing. And was really concerned mm -hmm. <laughs> about AI. What did she do? I mean, well, she works in um, in health. So she were, actually works at a hospital scribing right now and is like trying to study for medical school or some career in health. And I, she, I think she was really impressed by the new technology they have in the hospital that does like a different diagnosis, like different um, medical diagnoses and uh, 
the different types of technology they have in the labs. And yeah. The fact that there's all this, they're having like different conferences on different medical technologies they need to bring into the hospital. Um, and it seems like more and more, a lot of the work done by a physician can or will be in the maybe near future, uh, be able to be transferred over to some type of technology or automation system. Well, what's crazy is that a lot of the, what we consider to be like high skill jobs seem actually like they're equally at risk as the quote unquote low skill jobs. Yeah. And I feel right? like it's really important to make that point. Cause I think maybe a lot of people listening will be like, well, one, what is AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning? Um, and, and I think a lot of people have this connotation that they're robots and that they're evil and blah, 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 blah that AI and machine learning targets taking over day-to-day operations. But like you mentioned, I think it's going to target a lot of high-level jobs. As yeah. Well. And what I think is so interesting is that once like, you know, so Watson, right, is like... The, IBM Watson. Yeah. It's like can take in all of this medical information and diagnose like, you know, some like 99% with 99% accuracy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Way better than an actual physician can. Right. Right. And so it's kind of interesting because does that just mean that a lot of these high skilled jobs are going to convert to, because I think that, you know, diagnosing someone is far more automatable than say being a nurse and doing caretaking. Right. So is so much of like being a doctor going to start becoming more like being a doula, mm-hmm. right. Where you just take care of people and you like, you know, I have, think so. you know, you're then it's going to start having the shift towards much more soft skills, like empathic types of people, something that only like a person can do and machine can't really do that as well. Yeah. Cause you can't really replicate, patient-centered care and bedside manner within some kind of right automation system uh that I think will be really difficult I think I think we're making strides I think I mean you know we have our series and Alexas and whatever whatever but to replicate and or empathize with patients would be very difficult Mm -hmm. I I think you will definitely need somebody so I think yeah to your point I think I think in my world of the future and if the medical industry um, and practitioners adopt these new technologies that are emerging, I do think like physicians will transition into the more doula, like more of the doula type of role. And what's kind of crazy about that is that those types of jobs are very female dominated, right? Women are more nurses, right? I I mean, I think the workforce is going to be dominated by women, in the next coming years. Mm-hmm, because all the stuff that men can do can be automated. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I think, think it's about our it time though, in this right? limelight. I think like, it's our time. Like, I think, you know, we're creating all these movements, aka Women's March, aka Me Too, aka uh, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. <laughs> the things that are out on social media um, and within our communities. Like, I think there's a big emphasis on putting women in political office. I think there's a big emphasis of getting women involved in entrepreneurship and technology in all these different industries and sectors that have been male dominated previously. Well, are still pretty much male dominated. Yeah, are still pretty much, but I'm going to manifest it by saying that they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but yes, you're correct. I, I'm still all of these industries are male dominated, but I, I think like I'm enjoying the lean into into emphasis on women mm-hmm. um, when it comes to work especially. And I mean, that's where I see the future going.
I've been thinking so much to myself. I really want to have an episode on what is money for because I am just Yo. like, what the fuck? Like, yes. you know? <laughs> oh, man. That's been on my mind a lot. I think, all right, next episode. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Outro. Next episode. What is money for? <laughs> Be there. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I don't know what it's for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I do sometimes. And other times and I'm like, no. And like, wait a second. Nope, like, nope. nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it categorizes. Ah, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs>